you might have an experience in your life or you might come up with logical reasoning but if that conflicts with scripture it's scripture that gets the first say and the final say it's not your reasoning and it's not your experience so those things are useful tools to live your life in a christian way but they are not useful tools to conflict with what scripture says and that's a massive difference Okay, welcome everyone to our 33rd podcast, Renew Your Mind. Uh, with us today is Senior Pastor Paul Gruenberg and our family and youth pastor, Jordan Chambers, and myself, Dana Hall, as the moderator. Um, we are um, coming to you from the First United Methodist Church, located on 215 South Center in Gaylord, Michigan. And um, I think I'm just going to jump right into where we left off before. Um, we have had a series of podcasts about where we are uh, with, uh, with the Methodist Church. And we've talked about um, separation that it sounds like is coming up. And our, we ended our last podcast on tension. Um, and we've got some decisions to make, which is not unusual, we found, throughout history in a church. Or mm-hmm. might have said that back, church, yeah. backwards. So a lot of the time it has to do with interpretation of scripture. I mean, all of these different various times throughout history, it's because someone read the Bible and said, Well, I think it means something different. Mm-hmm. And or they say, you know, I don't know if this part of the Bible really counts. And in that leads people to major disagreement to the point of of, of separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wesley uh up, upheld four different aspects of living the Christian life. Uh, one is based on the scripture, the foundation of the scriptures. And then he also added tradition, reason, and experience. And so uh, tradition, you know, church tradition, we follow that oftentimes. That's why we're celebrating Lent. Mm-hmm. It's a tr- church tradition. Um, but then there's experience and reason. And Wesley was really big on reasoning you know, using your reason. God gave us a brain, use your brain, reason things out. But it's that experience that creates a little tension. Uh, It was the experience aspect that created the Pentecostal church out of uh, the United Methodist Church. uh, What do you mean, though, by experience? Like, can you expound on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, actually, it was John Wesley was a very analytical mind. Mm -hmm. You You look at his life, and much of the way he processed everything was through a logical perspective, a very reasoned out view. But his faith became real to him through the experience. And it was through an experience that he had At upon all hearing the yeah. gospel preached. And he had been a pastor already for years. Okay, It was experiencing grace. It was feeling God's gift on him that made him realize how true it was and how authentic it was in his life. Mm-hmm. It was it okay, was actually the introduction to um, uh, Romans, Luther's right? uh, introduction to Romans where yeah. he felt his heart strangely warm at Aldersgate. Yeah. But then with the Moravians, uh, the Moravians on the way over to the Americas, there was a nasty storm, and the Moravians are all praising God and singing hymns and and everyone else, Wesley included, in the ship was scared to death. And Wesley couldn't understand why he, as a Christian, a believer in Jesus, was experiencing 
this great fear while the Moravians were like, hey, if God's ready to take us, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And they were like Paul and, and Silas in jail, uh, singing even though they were chained. Mm-hmm. The the joy, the, all of that. But that gets away from where we're at. Yeah. And just to clarify, yeah. John Wesley, even though he suggested there are these four, this quadrilateral view of living the Christian life, that only scripture, he called it the primary and final authority on all things pertaining to salvation. In other words, uh, you might have an experience in your life, or you might come up with logical reasoning, but if that conflicts with Scripture, it's Scripture that gets the first say and the final say. It's not your reasoning, and it's not your experience. Mm -hmm. So those things are useful tools to live your life in a Christian way, but they are not useful tools to conflict with what Scripture says, and that's a massive difference. He called himself a man of the book. He didn't call himself a man of the heart. He didn't call himself a man of the mm-hmm. mind. He called himself a man of the book, and there's a reason for that. And we've gotten away, away from that perspective as a denomination mm-hmm. over the decades. So one of the leading voices in the United Methodist Church probably about 12 years ago uh, began shifting from a, a conservative theological stance to a more moderate. And he addressed in a sermon that I listened to, now it's probably 10 or 12, 10 years ago, uh, detailing why he believed what he believed. And and in this case, it's around uh, same-sex relationships. And he he was able, in his own way, to talk away the Old Testament, I mean the complete Old Testament. And then he attended to the two or three scriptures in the New Testament. And in the end, he could not, through the New Testament— share that God embraced uh, same-sex relationships. And then I recalled at the very beginning of his sermon, he said, my wife and I, we can walk down the street, we can hold hands, we can even kiss each other, and no one says boo. Well, how can, how come a same-sex couple doesn't have the freedom to do that? That doesn't seem like a godly thing. And it was a a real emotional tug, getting back to the quadrilateral, it was an experience that he felt was unfair and then began to reason how we could look at Scripture so that it could be fair. And so, again, uh, he began moving away from the authority of Scripture. Now, I don't want to badmouth him or anyone because we all have these experiences in life. The United Methodist Church has been, that tension has been growing. And so at the 2016 General Conference, they took a vote worldwide. Now, that make, that's one of the things that United Methodist differs from the Anglican, the Lutheran, and the Presbyterian churches that have already voted and made changes. Those three groups were solely based in the U.S., and the U.S. culture is much more progressive nowadays than it than the world is. But within United Methodism, we're about 12.1 million, somewhere around there. About 6 million exist within the United States. That means there are almost 6 million outside of the United States. Maybe it's 8 million in, 6 million out. But there's enough 
traditional votes around the world that in 2016 they um, voted and again the vote was we're going to remain traditional and at that moment the bishops called for a special commission to determine a way forward and that commission uh, had people from all perspectives from uh, orthodox conservative to moderate centrist to progressive liberal theologies and they kind of put them in a room over a period of years they would meet uh, to hammer out what would a plan going forward look like so that we could remain a united Methodist church. And that was a big hangup for a lot of people. We call ourselves United Methodists, but we're anything but united. In fact, we're quite divided. Mm-hmm. And so these people for... Kind of like the United States. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so these, uh, this Commission on a Way Forward uh, met, and they came up with three plans. Uh, one was a traditional plan uh, to remain uh, very traditional in our orthodox uh, or theological understanding. And then there was the simple plan, which was brought in by a very progressive group that would say, let every church decide what they want to do. It doesn't matter. If you want to remain more orthodox, go ahead. If you want to have uh, clergy who have uh, and marry same-sex couples or clergy who are uh, have different views in their sexual identity, uh, the simple plan, everyone does what they want to do. Uh, and that's pretty much what the Lutheran and Presbyterian churches did and the Anglican church. I want, I want to correct that. Uh, the simple plan actually required every church to recognize homosexuality and to okay. allow for it. The one church plan was a contextual one, meaning it allowed for churches to decide what they wanted to do on a local level. Right. The You're simple right. church, the, basically if, if the simple church plan had passed, which it was the lowest of the three in, in votes. Um, if it had passed all United Methodist churches, any, any of them could be assigned any pastor who may or may not have been homosexual and the church could not have said anything against it. And if a uh, homosexual couple requested a marriage from that church, the church was required to um, perform to perform the marriage. Ceremony. There could be no uh, agreements. Whereas in a one church plan, it's up to the church to decide. You know, this church says right. they don't support it, so they're not going to do the the wedding. But if you go down the road to this church, they'll do it for you. And but we're still all United Methodists, right? We we're still all under the same in yeah. the same conference. So what there were two branches to the United Methodist Church, the people who re- wanted to remain more orthodoxy in their understanding of Scripture and the others who would be more progressive. But each church could then decide, uh, like Jordan said. So in 2019, then, a special general conference was called to vote on that. What plan would the delegates vote on? And it came up that the delegates voted on tr- the traditional plan. And so, which was basically to keep the book of discipline as it is the way it was, but to enforce it more strictly. There were also some uh, stricter enforcing to its uh, rules because over time, way before 2016, probably back into the even early 2000s, 
there were clergy who were uh, potentially performing same-sex unions. And the Book of Discipline says that uh, a same-sex union cannot take place in a United Methodist church or by a United Methodist pastor. Mm -hmm. And I remember in 2003, when I took my ordination vows, one of the vows was to uphold the Book of Discipline and all that it stated. Now you've got pastors who are uh, breaking away from that. Uh, they're, they're actually in defiance of the Book of Discipline. And then you have bishops that are doing the same thing. Yeah. Now, we've talked in terms of uh, sexual sin, uh, and that's how I see we are all sexual beings and we have all sinned sexually. If you've lusted after someone, uh, you've, according to Jesus, you have committed adultery. When you have um, coveted your neighbor's wife, when you have uh, pornography, swinging couples, divorce is considered a sin. And so we have all fallen short of God's glory in regard to any form of sex or sexual identity or all of that. So when we look at sexual sin or homosexuality in particular, we want to post that as the big problem. And it's not. Mm -hmm. The problem is how we view the authority of scripture. And so from that, when I was an elder, I vowed to uphold the discipline. And if you don't uphold the discipline, you can be called on a charge. And what's happening is there are bishops that are openly ignoring the charges. Mm -hmm. So if a, if a clergy person marries a same-sex couple, they can be brought up on charges, but what the bishop does is gives them a little slap on the wrist, a wink, wink, and says, don't do it again. But now it's, it's to the point where bishops are um, almost promoting. Yeah. Uh, uh, not just almost. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, promoting. In some, fact, some outright. I mean, not, not, not entirely, not even necessarily a majority, although I would say a majority of bishops are probably in support of uh, the more progressive perspective. Probably more than half, yeah. In fact, the Western jurisdiction, which is um, California, uh, Washington, Oregon, I think Nevada is part of that. They have already elected uh, a bishop who is in a same-sex marriage. And that was brought before our Supreme Court called the Judicial Council. They told the jurisdiction you have to address that because that breaks uh, the rules that we all say we're going to follow. And that was in 2016 and, and nothing has been done. Mm -hmm. So there is open defiance in the United Methodist Church uh, by a number of clergy and bishops. And in 2019, we all agreed that the traditional um, understanding of Scripture would be the way we were going to move forward. And so the question is now with this, why is the traditional Orthodox, theologically-minded people, why are they leaving? Why are they separating? And mm -hmm. I think that would be a great question to address next 
next podcast. I think that sounds perfect. So um, thanks, everyone. I think we are still, um, uh, we when this podcast airs, we are still having uh, soup lunches on Wednesdays. And um, you can come in person. Uh, uh, all the health department rules have been followed, so that that is a okay thing to do. Or we have carryout options as well. As well, so I hope you join, uh, choose to join us in those luncheons. Uh, food is delicious, soups and pies. Um, and if you choose to join us um, in person, we have a traditional service at 9 a.m. and a contemporary at 10:45 a.m. Um, those you can attend in person or you can view them live on Facebook or YouTube. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to call the office 989-732-5380. Thanks again, everyone. Mm-hmm.